North Korea is the impossible state. It's a place that stumped leaders and policymakers for more than three decades. Some have called the Korean War the forgotten war. But today, we prove these heroes were never forgotten. Today, our boys are coming home. It has a complex history, and it has become the United States' top national security priority. The metal of our scientists and the capabilities of our labs will be challenged. But in the months and years ahead, they will make identifications from these remains and give families long-sought answers. Each week on this show, we'll talk with the people who know the most about North Korea. CSIS's Victor Cha, Mike Green, and Sumi Terry. In this episode of The Impossible State, we're continuing our streak of star guest appearances. We're talking to CSIS's Victor Cha and Dr. Jenny Jin. Jenny is an anthropologist with the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency. Dr. Jin's in charge of the team that's working to identify the recent POW MIA remains from North Korea that were part of the negotiations between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. Jenny joins us by phone from her lab in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Dr. Jin, what was it like going to Wonsan, North Korea in July to retrieve the 55 boxes of American servicemen's remains? We flew out of Osan Air Base in Korea very early in the morning, and um, we could not fly directly over the DMZ, so we had to fly all the way out to the East Coast, and then we flew back into North Korea. Everything was very carefully planned, so we landed exactly at 7 a.m. Um, as we planned. And um, Wonsan was very hot and humid. I thought Seoul was very hot and humid, but Wonsan is a little higher up north, so I thought it might not be that hot, but it was very hot. Um, the airport was really nice. Um, the only um, strange thing to me was that there was only one other aircraft Um but other than that, they were very nice to us, um, and all the 55 boxes were laid out inside the airport, which was very nicely air-conditioned. So it, overall, it was really nice um, you know, atmosphere to pick it up. Is it a big airport there? It was a fairly um, good size airport. We couldn't really get into any other areas, but we were right next to the um, immigration and customs area. That's where they had all the 55 boxes laid out. Um, overall, it wasn't a very small airport. It wasn't too big, but it was decent size. And then once we were done, they took us to the VIP room to to provide us with some snacks and coffee. Uh, it was really nice. For our listeners, where is Wonsan in North Korea? Wonsan is one of the major um, cities on the east coast of North Korea. And it's south of um, Hungnam port. Uh, Hungnam port was one of the major ports during the Korean War where we actually evacuated um, after the Chosen, the Battle of Chosen. So it's one of the major cities and also Kim Jong-un's birthplace. So both of my grandparents from my maternal and paternal side, they are originally from North Korea, and they came down during the Korean War. And my grandfather came down through the Hungnam port, and my maternal grandmother was captured in Wonsan by the North Koreans. So, you know, as a child, you, you grow up listening to the stories, and you really don't pay too much attention to the stories. But when I went there, it felt very 
very strange, and it made me a little emotional um, that I'm back in a place where my grandmother um, suffered so much, but yet in a completely different circumstances. So it was very personal to me. Wow. That's wow. truly incredible. Yeah. I want to bring Dr. Cha in. The last time the United States received remains that were repatriated was in 2007. And Victor, you were part of that. Yeah. What was it like then? And and maybe you and Jenny can talk about the difference in your experiences or, or the similarities. Sure. Prior to Jenny's mission, the last time that we received remains from the North Koreans was in April of 2007. And at that time, I was at the White House on the NSC, and I went with uh, then-Governor Bill Richardson right. and former Secretary of Veteran Affairs Anthony Principi to North Korea to retrieve what were, I think, Jenny, seven sets of remains. Is that right? Yes. Seven sets of remains. Uh, we did not land in Wonsan. We landed at Sunan, Sunan Airport, which is the main international airport uh, closest to the capital city of North Korea. Um, and then we had basically, I think, two or three days of conversations with our counterparts. And for me, what was significant was that our counterparts for those two and a half days were all uniformed military. Um, when I had been working on the the nuclear talks with North Korea, the six-party talks in Beijing, uh, all of our counterparts there were foreign ministries. So this was actually the first time I've had interaction with uniformed military. So, I mean, Jenny can speak to this as well. This this particular project itself, the return of POW MIA remains, I feel is really a KPA, Korean People's Army uh, project and they they're uh, at least in my case they were the primary uh, interlocutors but we brought back seven sets of remains um, and I'm sure you you'll talk later with Jenny about how this is all done but I think six of the seven were identified is that right Jenny or Yes, yes, yeah, correct. Yeah, six of the seven sets uh, were identified. Were identified as U.S. Were identified, positively identified as U.S. Uh, I mean, I can tell you, I mean, it was an interesting trip overall, but when I look back on my time at the White House, it was one of the most meaningful things I felt like I was able to do because it, it actually mattered for real people, like right. real people. You were bringing home the remains of loved ones that they hadn't retrieved obviously right, yeah. so they had they they had closure jenny what was your experience over there were you dealing with army officials as well Yes, uh, just like what Victor says, the North Koreans made it very clear from the get-go when we met them at Tongilgak, which is the north side of the DMZ, in their building to discuss the repatriation and um, potential recovery in the future. It was all KPA um, soldiers, and they made it clear that this is between the KPA and the United States Department of Defense. Um, so everyone who interacted, including the linguists and everybody, um, they were all uniformed soldiers. Can you both explain to us how does this work? This process, obviously it's important to negotiations, but it's even more important to the families that are receiving uh, home their loved ones. Explain to us how this process with the North Koreans works. Let me sort of speak on where it fits in the broader policy, and then I'll let Jenny speak about the actual how how they do this because it's amazing work. I mean, yeah. uh, the, you know at, that these people do at Hickam Air Force Base. In terms of the broader picture, uh, there are differences between um, what happened in April two thousand seven and Jenny Jin's uh, experiences this past July. For one, um, in two thousand and seven. 
uh, we were actually in the middle of uh, a crisis with North Korea. And one of the reasons why the whole project of uh, joint excavation of remains was stopped by Secretary Rumsfeld at the time was that he made the argument that if we are in a crisis with North Korea, these people potentially could be taken as hostages. So it was, um, it, at least in words, a national security threat at a time of crisis that caused the Secretary of Defense to stop, to stop these projects. Now, if you talk to people who were on these projects, they never felt at any time that they were being threatened. Um, and I think the real reason that Secretary Rumsfeld didn't like it was he didn't like the idea of paying money to the North Koreans for the expenses that were incurred during some of these operations. This time, it's a very different context. This was actually one of the four do-outs or deliverables from the Singapore summit, right? There were four big things. Right. And this was the most specific of the four. Uh, and in many ways, you know, Jenny was basically going on a mission that the two president, the presidents of the two countries had agreed to, which would be the return of the remains. So, so it's, it's a very different, I would say that when, when we did it in 2007, it was a small piece of a, of a broader, um, denuclearization negotiation that was not going well. And that at this time when Jane did it, I mean, this is actually elevated a great deal in its both its presence, its prominence in the policy process, because it was actually one thing that the two leaders agreed on that they actually are doing. And so it gives it a lot more prominence. Should it be elevated? Well, I mean, I, I certainly think that retrieving and identifying the remains of soldiers who have been missing since the Korean War is very important. I, I think it's very important. Should it be at a high politics policy level? I would probably say maybe not. I mean, because mm -hmm. it distracts from a, the core issues of, you know, we need a declaration from them. You know, um, uh, if, if they want an end of war declaration, we need to see changes in terms of conventional force deployments on the ground. I mean, those are sort of the core issues for peace and security. Having said that, the two presidents, the two leaders decide to make this one of the four things. And if they do that, then it's, it has prominence no matter right. what. Right. And, it, and it, gives, it gives the two countries something to work on and to build on. Yeah, and, and there's a very credible argument to be made that if you are trying to end the war between the two countries, there is no more important symbol of reconciliation than returning war dead, right? I mean, this, there's, it's hard to argue against that. Jenny, can you tell us about the K-208 project that you direct? So the K-208 project refers to um, the analysis and identification of the remains that we received from North Korea in the early 90s. Um, they gave us 208 boxes over five years. Um, and the largest repatriation that happened like it, at a given time was 33 sets back then. So this time we got 55 sets. So it's actually uh, the, the largest repatriation, the single repatriation that we received. So those are the remains. And most of them turned out to be Americans. And then starting from 96 to 2005, for 10 years, we went into North Korea to conduct 33 missions, uh, recovery missions with the North Koreans. And we brought back a um, significant number of missing Americans. And then now we got additional 55 sets. So all of these will be incorporated to a larger Korean war project at the DPAA. How do you go about doing your work? 
for the new 55 sets we brought in, we are almost done with the inventory. So we, we opened each box, which we actually did in Wonsan. Um, briefly, we looked at each boxes and with the North Korean um, soldiers present, we'll look at uh, what's in the boxes to make sure there are no like animal bones or anything like that. So we did that cursory review in Wonsan. We did, did it one more time at Osan Air Base, and now we have them in the laboratory. So we went into much more details of which skeletal elements we received in each boxes and if um, to see if they are actually one individual or not. That can be determined based on the morphology of the bones and all, all various things, um, the size and the shape. So once that's done, that's almost completed now, we will sample but the bones for DNA. Um, these bones are not in a very um, good condition, meaning it's not a complete um, skeleton from head to toes. And that's what we expected based on what we received in the 90s um, because it's just a natural way of decomposing. Um, so it's, it's rare to see a complete skeleton unless, you, unless um, the body was buried in a cemetery. How do you go about identifying each service person? So once we take all the DNA samples, they will be shipped to our DNA laboratory in Dover, Delaware, the Armed Forces DNA Identification Laboratory. They process all the DNA samples for us, and then they compare the DNA results to the family reference samples of the missing um, Americans from the Korean War to see if there is any match. So once that's done, its DNA doesn't work like magic. So sometimes, like even if there's a DNA sequence, there could be multiple um, service members matching the same DNA sequence. Then we have to go further with different analysis. What we can do is um, chest radiograph comparison. So if we have uh, clavicle bones, like the collarbones, present, then we can take an x-ray of the collarbone and then compare that to the anti-mortem chest radiographs that these guys took when they joined the service back in the um, 50s and compare that to see if there, we could find a potential match. So it's almost like dental comparison. That's pretty then, incredible. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah but it's, it's a fascinating method. Um, and we can also do dental comparison, looking at the dental morphology and if there's any restorations, uh, then we can compare that to um, the missing service members' anti-mortem records. So combining all of these, um, we make an ID like with multiple lines of evidence. It's very rare to see like, okay, this is a DNA hit and we identify this person as that person. That only happens, that doesn't happen um, that often with the remains that are this old. So what can you tell us about the current efforts on the 55 boxes of remains? Do you have a timeline or how far have you gotten? So we are about to um, finish the inventory process. There are a lot of bones and for each bone we have to take measurements um, to make sure we capture that before any DNA samples are taken that will assist us in the future with further analysis. So that's where we are at now, and we will begin DNA sampling next week, which will take us um, several weeks to complete. Once that's done, all the samples will be shipped to our DNA laboratory, um, and they roll into a regular casework. So we are 
unless there is a compelling reason to prioritize those samples over other casework samples that we already have, um, they will be processed as regular samples. And Victor, what's happening on the policy side while all this is going on? So a couple of things is I would imagine that there is, I, I, so I don't know where these remains sit in the queue, but I would imagine they move pretty far to the top because uh, I w- I'm pretty sure that the White House would like to see these, you know, be able to say that these have been identified. Yeah. I mean, in the broader policy scheme, I mean, I guess, I mean, people look at this in one of two ways, um, and both ways are right. One way to look at it is that this is something the two leaders agreed on. It's something the North Koreans have done unilaterally. It's a confidence-building measure uh, that builds trust before the core nuclear negotiations, right? Um, and there are a lot of people who would who would take that view, right? There are others who would look at it and say, this is uh, actually an effort to distract uh, not not American effort to distract, but a North Korean effort to distract from uh, the core issue, which is the nuclear negotiation, by offering these other things that are politically quite um, important for the president, uh, that look good, uh, but that in the end move, you know, take them away from the nuclear issue. Now, I think if you talk to people inside the Beltway in Washington, they're probably most of them are of the second view. But I think if you get outside the Beltway in Washington and you go to Hawaii or you go to any other place, they'd be like, this is a wonderful thing. Yeah, it's an emotional, meaningful It's an emotional, issue. wonderful thing. And I, and I have to tell you, I remember when, you know, when we brought back those sets of remains, um, and you know uh, Jenny's team identified them, and I heard later back from the Pentagon that these had been identified. You know, I went to the Punchbowl Cemetery in Hawaii, and I looked up these names, and yeah. I saw them on the. You see them on the wall. It's uh, really the incredible. Ones, these these men were missing in action. They were never accounted for, and, and they then, were finally home. They were finally home. So that's you know that's real. That is that is very real. What happens once a U.S. serviceman is positively identified? That's a good question. So I asked, and uh, at least at the Punchbowl Cemetery, what they told us was that they don't take the name off the wall, right. but in the records, the records are adjusted to show that this individual is no longer considered uh, considered because these names are you know engraved in white marble, sure. or these you know these arching white marble uh, walls um, at the cemetery. But um, but I don't know. I don't know if Jenny. Know, that's all I know about it. I don't know if Jenny knows. Well, more. What, Jenny, in the technical process of identifying. What happens after you identify somebody? What's the, the next part of the process? The DPA's job ends um, with the signing medical examiner signing off on the um, identification. So we have two medical examiners making the identifications. They are the identification authorities. And once that's done, then we send it to what's called the service casualty office. So they deal with the current um, accounting and the past accounting, and those um, are the groups. They are pretty amazing. Um, They are the ones who contact the families to um, give the notification and then set up the funeral and then transportation of the remains and et cetera. I've been out to this lab, and it's just, it's not only great, it's really cool. It's just a cool place. Can you, like, describe for the listeners what the lab is? It, like what it looks like? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's a DPAA, the Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency. It. that was established in January of 2015. And third floor is all of our laboratory. When you walk into our laboratory, you will see big um, panel glasses. 
And behind those glasses, you will see all the bones um, laid out um, on about 70 big tables. So each table has the remains of American service members that we are actively analyzing and trying to identify. It's like CSI for the military. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, Yeah. and they they have like the, you can see like on tables, they have these sets that they're working on and you can see they put pieces of the skeleton back together. You know, they may be missing a femur, they may be missing an arm, but they're actively trying to put these, you know, put these skeletons back together. How far has the technology advanced since 2007? Is it much different today than it was when Victor was working on this in 2007, Jenny? Yes, it's it's uh, um, a lot better now. So we have a different type of DNA testing. That's one of the most crucial things that happen. So now there is a way for our DNA lab to retrieve whatever minuscule amount of DNA is still left in these almost 70-year-old bones. So that actually changed a lot. Um, That helped us with making more identifications and the chest radiograph comparison method that I mentioned to you before, that's a new uh, method that the analyst at DPAA actually uh, came, invented, so to speak. So we are in a better position now. The only um, issue is... We have 90% of the Korean War missing. We have their family reference samples for DNA, but we're still missing the 10%. And as time goes by, the family members probably won't be around. So that's a, that's a challenge for us. So when you have the 55 sets of remains fully researched, what happens after that, Victor? Is there going to be more negotiations between the White House and the North Koreans? How many more remains do we think are over there? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, and Jenny can speak to this as well, since she actually participated in the negotiations. So my the sense I have is that the North Koreans have offered these 55 sets of remains as a goodwill gesture. Uh, but they, what they really want to do is restart joint excavation operations, uh, joint ex- I can't remember the technical term for it, but the reco- re- recovery of remains operations that, as Jenny said, was going on for quite some time until it was stopped in 2005. You know, my sense is that the North Korean KPA would like to restart those projects. And part of the reason, I think, is because they see it as a way to also uh, gain hard currency. But clearly, that's not the only reason, and I'm sure Jenny can speak to, you know, what those what those actual actual remains recovery operations are like, like what they actually do out there. So, um, Victor's right. <laughs> this was uh, I see it as a goodwill gesture too. So they really wanted to discuss um, about the joint recovery operations that they want. They want us in the country. So I don't know when that'll happen, but uh, we are preparing um, to to talk to them to re-engage in the joint recovery operations. When we actually go in, I've never been, uh, but according to my colleagues, you go out to a site that the North Koreans tell you where to go. So we don't, we didn't have any freedom to choose the site. So that was that was a big um, issue with us. But wherever they took us, there we most of the time uh, we found remains. So are those all American remains? We're not sure, but we did find a significant number of American remains. Jenny, I'm sure that you know every American would thank you for your work, and this is really interesting insight into a process that we don't know anything about. 
it was my honor to participate. Yeah, I, you know, I think, like I said, I think that this is uh, one of these projects that, um, for one, I don't know of any other country in the world that, you know, that hires people like Jenny that devotes the time, the resources to recovery of war remains, you know, so, you know, it's really an example for every other country out there that, that the United States does this. They, they, you know, they leave no one behind. They always look to find everybody. The other thing I would say, and this is just putting my academic hat on, is that I think it's really cool the way, you know, people like Jenny, I mean, you know, forensic anthropologists and scientists and people like Jenny get involved in some, in a project like this that has real ramifications for the overall tenor of the relationship between the United States and North Korea, two countries that are sworn enemies, right? And if you ever think of one thing in terms of reconciliation that's at the tip of the spear, it would have to be something like this, right? So, you know, there's a lot of people who criticize Trump because of Singapore summit. There's not enough specificity. The one specific thing in that joint statement was on POW MIA remains. And, and that is moving forward, as we see, with 55 sets already in her possession. Real results delivered. Yeah, real results. Real results. And, and um, you know, I think it will be not just rewarding for the families, but I think it'll make everybody feel good when we find out, like, who of these 55 sets, you know, who's been positively identified. You know, every time one of these things happens, you read about it, like, if it's so-and-so from, I don't know, Plainsboro, New Jersey, you know, there's a story that you read about. This is who the guy was, you know, in 1953 and, and things. So it becomes, it's very real. It becomes very local right away. And um, and so it's it's really amazing work. And it's not often in this debate, in this set of policy issues, that we do have real results that we can point to. Real results that, that we can point to and that everybody can c- claim as a success. It's not a zero sum, right? Because everything in our relationship with North Korea is like, like the other day, the Treasury Department put more secondary sanctions on Chinese and Russian companies that looked like they were doing business with North Korea. That's a win for us, but it's not a win for the Chinese, the Russians, or the North Koreans, right? But this is something that everybody can point to as being positive, you know, all the way around. So it's a, it's one of these rare spaces in policy where everybody wins. We'll take any win we can get when it comes to North Korea. Yeah. I was at the Korean Cold War family briefing last week in D.C., and that's where the government gives an update to the accounting community and also the families of what we have done um, in the past year. So it's always a, a big meeting, but this time it was the biggest meet, meeting ever in the past 19 years. We used uh, we usually have um, about 400 families um, show up, but this time uh, close to 800 families showed up. So that shows you the the interest. Um, and during the meeting, in those 55 sets of boxes, there was one dog tag present, and we were able to deliver the dog tag to um, the two sons who actually came to the meeting. So that was a quite touching um, moment. If you have a question for one of our experts about the impossible state, email us at impossiblestate at csis.org. If you want to dive deeper into the issues surrounding North Korea, check out Beyond Parallel. That's our micro website that's dedicated to bringing a better understanding of the Korean peninsula. You can find it at Beyond Parallel 
www.csis.org. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's so more listeners can find us. It's very helpful. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Impossible State.